Section twenty two, chapters sixty two to sixty six of the Three Sisters by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter sixty two. As she went home, she tried to recapture the magic of the flowering thorn trees, but it had gone, and she could not be persuaded that it would come again. She was still too young to draw joy from the memory of joy and what greatorex had told her seemed incredible she said to herself is it going to be taken from me like everything else and a dreadful duologue went on in her it looks like it but it was mine it was mine like nothing else it never had anything for you but what you gave it am i to go on giving the whole blessed time am i never to have anything for myself there never is anything for anybody but what they give or what they take from somebody else you should have taken you had your chance i'd have died rather do you call this living i have lived he hasn't why did you sacrifice him for mary it wasn't for mary it was for yourself for your own wretched soul for his soul how much do you suppose mary cares about his soul it would have had a chance with you it's one chance the unconsoling voice had the last word for it was not in answer to it that a certain phrase came into her brooding mind i couldn't do a caddish thing like that it puzzled her she had said it to stephen that night but it came to her now attached to an older memory somebody had said it to her before then years before she remembered it was ally chapter sixty three a year passed it was june again for more than a year there had been rumours of changes in morfe the doctor talked of going he was always talking of going and nobody had yet believed that he would go this time they said he was serious it had been a toss-up whether he stayed or went but in the end he stayed things had happened in rowcliffe's family his mother had died and his wife had had a son rowcliffe's son was the image of rowcliffe the doctor had no brothers or sisters and by his mother's death he came into possession both of his father's income and of hers he had now more than a thousand a year over and above what he earned on an unearned thousand a year you can live like a rich man in rathdale not that rowcliffe had any idea of giving up he was well under forty and as soon as old hislop at rayburn died or retired he would step into his practice he hadn't half enough to do in morfe and he wanted more meanwhile he had bought the house that joined on to his own and thrown the two and their gardens into one they had been one twenty years ago when the wide-fronted building with its long rows of windows was the dominating house in morfe village rowcliffe was now the dominating man in it he had given the old place back its own and he had spent any amount of money on it he had had all the woodwork painted white and the whole house repapered and redecorated he had laid down parquet flooring in the big square hall that he had made and in the new drawing-room upstairs and he had bought a great deal of beautiful and expensive furniture and now he was building a garage and laying out a croquet ground and tennis lawns at the back he and mary had been superintending these works all afternoon till a shower sent them indoors and now they were sitting together in the drawing-room in the breathing space that came between the children's hour and dinner mary had sent the children back to the nursery a little earlier than usual rowcliffe had complained of headache he was always complaining of headaches 
they dated from his marriage and more particularly from one night in june eight years ago but rowcliffe ignored the evidence of dates he ignored everything that made him feel uncomfortable he had put gwenda from him he had said plainly to mary in one poignant moment not long before the birth of their third child if you're worrying about me and gwenda you needn't she was never anything to me that was not saying there had never been anything between them but mary knew what he had meant he said to himself and mary said that he had got over it but he hadn't got over it he might say to himself and mary she was never anything to me he might put her and the thought of her away from him but she had left her mark on him he hadn't put her away she was there in his heavy eyes and in the irritable gestures of his hands in his nerves and in his wounded memory she had knitted herself into his secret being mary was unaware of the cause of his malady if it had been suggested to her that he had got into this state because of gwenda she would have dismissed the idea with contempt she didn't worry about rowcliffe's state on the contrary rowcliffe's state was a consolation and a satisfaction to her for all that she had endured through gwenda she would have thought you mad if you had told her so for she was sorry for stephen and tender to him when he was nervous or depressed but to mary her sorrow and her tenderness were a voluptuous joy she even encouraged rowcliffe in his state she liked to make it out worse than it really was so that he might become more dependent on her and she had found that it could be induced in him by suggestion she had only to say to him stephen you're thoroughly worn out and he was thoroughly worn out she had more pleasure because she had more confidence in this lethargic middle-aged rowcliffe than in rowcliffe young and energetic his youth had attracted him to gwenda and his energy had driven him out of doors and mary had set herself secretly insidiously to destroy them it had taken her seven years for the first five years it had been hard work for mary it had meant for her body an ignominious waiting and watching for the moment when its appeal would be irresistible for her soul a complete subservience to her husband's moods and for her mind perpetual attention to his comfort a thousand cares that had seemed to go unnoticed but in the sixth year they had begun to tell once rowcliffe had made up his mind that gwenda couldn't be anything to him he had let go and through sheer exhaustion had fallen more and more into his wife's hands and for the last two years her labor had been easy and its end sure she had him bound to her bed and to her fireside he said and thought that he was happy he meant that he was extremely comfortable is your head very bad stephen he shook his head it wasn't very bad but he was worried he was worried about himself from time to time his old self rose against this new self that was the slave of comfort it made desperate efforts to shake off the strangling lethargy when he went about saying that he was getting rusty that he ought never to have left leeds and that it would do him all the good in the world to go back there he was saying what he knew to be the truth the life he was leading was playing the devil with his nerves and brain his brain had nothing to do hard work might not be the cure for every kind of nervous trouble but it was the one cure for the kind that he had got he ought to have gone away seven years ago it was gwenda's fault that he hadn't gone he felt a dull anger against her as against a woman who had wrecked his chance he had a chance of going now if he cared to take it he had had a letter that morning from dr harker asking if he had meant what he had said a year ago and if he'd cared to exchange his rathdale practice for his old practice in leeds harker's wife was threatened with lung trouble 
and they would have to live in the country somewhere and harker himself wouldn't be sorry for the exchange his present practice was worth twice what it had been ten years ago and it was growing there were all sorts of interesting things to be done in leeds by a man of rowcliffe's keenness and energy do you know stephen you're getting quite stout i do know he said almost with bitterness i don't mean horridly stout dear just nicely and comfortably stout i'm too comfortable he said i don't do enough work to keep me fit is that what's bothering you he frowned it was harker's letter that was bothering him he said so for one instant mary looked impatient i thought we'd settled that she said rowcliffe sighed what on earth makes you want to go and leave this place when you've spent hundreds on it i should make pots of money in leeds but we couldn't live there why not it would be too awful my dear if it were a big london practice i shouldn't say no that might be worth while but whatever should we have in leeds we haven't much here we've got the county you might think of the children i do he said mournfully i do i think of nothing else but the children and you if you wouldn't like it there's an end of it you might think of yourself dear you really are not strong enough for it he felt that he really was not he changed the subject i saw gwenda the other day looking as young as ever i suppose no not quite so young i thought she was looking rather ill he meditated i wonder why she never comes he really did wonder it's a quarter past seven stephen he rose and stretched himself they went together to the night nursery where the three children lay in their cots the little red-haired girls awake and restless and the dark-haired baby in his first sleep they bent over them together mary's lips touched the red hair and the dark where stephen's lips had been they spent the evening sitting by the fire in rowcliffe's study the doctor dozed mary silent over her sewing was the perfect image of tranquillity from time to time she looked at her husband and smiled as his chin dropped to his breast and recovered itself with a start at the stroke of ten she murmured stephen are you ready for bed he rose stumbling for drowsiness as they passed into the square hall he paused and looked round him before putting out the lights yes he yawned yes i think we shall do very comfortably here for the next seven years he was thinking of old hyslop he had given him seven years chapter sixty four the next day it was a friday when mary came home to tea after a round of ineffectual calling she was told that miss gwenda was in the drawing-room mary inquired whether the doctor was in dr rowcliffe was in but he was engaged in the surgery mary thought she knew why gwenda had come to-day for the last two or three wednesdays rowcliffe had left garthdale without calling at the vicarage he had not meant to break his habit but it happened so for this year mary had decided to have a day from may to october and her day was wednesday her sister had ignored her day and mary was offended she had every reason mary believed in keeping up appearances and the appearance she most desired to keep up was that of behaving beautifully to her sister this required her sister's cooperation it couldn't appear if gwenda didn't and gwenda hadn't given it a chance she meant to have it out with her she greeted her therefore with a certain challenge what are you keeping away for do you suppose we aren't glad to see you i'm not keeping away said gwenda it looks uncommonly like it do you know it's two months since you've been here is it i've lost count i should think you did lose count 
i'm sorry molly i couldn't come you talk as if you had engagements every day in garthdale if it comes to that it's months since you've been to us it's different for me i have engagements and i've my husband and children too stephen hates it if i'm out when he comes home and papa hates it if i'm out it's no use minding what papa hates what's making you so sensitive living with him then for goodness sake get away from him when you can one afternoon here can't matter to him gwenda said nothing neither did she look at her but she answered her in her heart it matters to me it matters to me how stupid you are if you don't see how it matters yet i'd die rather than you should see mary went on exasperated by her sister's silence we may as well have it out while we're about it why can't you look me straight in the face and say plump out what i've done you've done nothing well is it stephen then has he done anything of course he hasn't what could he do poor stephen goodness knows i'm sure i don't no more does he unless she stopped her sister was looking her straight in the face now unless what my dear gwenda don't glare at me like that i'm not saying things and i'm not thinking them i don't know what you're thinking if you weren't so nervy you'd own that i've always been decent to you i'm sure i have been i've always stood up for you i've always wanted to have you here and why shouldn't you mary blinked she had seen her blunder i never said you weren't decent to me molly you behave as if i weren't how am i to behave i know it's difficult said mary the memory of her blunder rankled are you offended because stephen hasn't been to see you my dear molly mary ignored her look of weary tolerance because you can't expect him to keep on running up to garthdale when papa's all right i don't expect him well then said mary with the air of having exhausted all plausible interpretations if i were offended said gwenda should i be here the appearance of the tea-tray and the parlour-maid absolved mary from the embarrassing compulsion to reply she addressed herself to the parlour-maid tell dr rowcliffe that tea is ready and that miss gwendolen is here she really wanted stephen to come and deliver her from the situation she had created but rowcliffe delayed his coming is it true that stephen's going to give up his practice gwenda said presently well no whatever he does he won't do that said mary she thought so that's what she came for stephen hasn't told her anything what put that idea into your head she asked somebody told me so he has had an offer of dr harker's practice in leeds and he'd some idea of taking it he seemed to think it might be a good thing there was a flicker in the whiteness of gwenda's face it arrested mary it was not excitement nor dismay nor eagerness nor even interest it was a sort of illumination the movement of some inner light the shining passage of some idea and in gwenda's attitude as it now presented itself to mary there was a curious still withdrawal and detachment she seemed hardly to listen but to be preoccupied with her idea he thought it would be a good thing she said i think i've convinced him said mary that it wouldn't gwenda was stiller and more withdrawn than ever guarding her idea can i see stephen before i go she said presently of course he'll be up in a second i can't here mary stared she understood you're ill poor dear you shall see him this minute she rang the bell chapter sixty five five minutes passed before rowcliffe came to gwenda in the study forgive me he said i had a troublesome patient 
don't be afraid you're not going to have another come you haven't troubled me much anyhow this is the first time isn't it yes she thought it was the first time and it would be the last there had not been many ways of seeing stephen but this way had always been open to her if she had cared to take it but it had been of all ways the most repugnant to her and she had never taken it till now when she was driven to it mary tells me you're not feeling very fit he was utterly gentle as he was with all sick and suffering things i'm all right that's not why i want to see you he was faintly surprised what is it then sit down and tell me she sat down they had stephen's table as a barrier between them you've been thinking of leaving rathdale haven't you she said i've been thinking of leaving it for the last seven years but i haven't left it yet i don't suppose i shall leave it now even when you've got the chance even when i've got the chance you said you wanted to go and you do don't you well yes for some things would you think me an awful brute if i said i wanted you to go he gave her a little queer puzzled look i wouldn't think you a brute whatever you wanted do you mind my smoking a cigarette no she waited stephen i wish i hadn't made you stay you're not making me stay i mean that time do you remember he smiled a little smile of reminiscent tenderness yes yes i remember i didn't understand stephen well well there's no need to go back on that now it's done gwenda yes and i did it i wouldn't have done it if i'd known what it meant i didn't think it would have been like this like what rowcliffe's smile that had been reminiscent was now vague and obscurely speculative i ought to have let you go when you wanted to she said rowcliffe looked down at the table she sat leaning sideways against it one thin arm was stretched out on it the hand gripped the paperweight that he had pushed away it was this hand so tense and yet so helpless that he was looking at he laid his own over it gently its grip slackened then it lay lax under the sheltering hand don't worry about that my dear he said it's been all right it hasn't it hasn't rowcliffe's nerves winced before her fierce intensity he withdrew his sheltering hand just at first she said it was all right but you see it's broken down you said it would you mustn't keep on bothering about what i said it isn't what you said it's what is it's this place we're all tied up together in it tight we can't get away from each other it isn't as if i could leave i'm stuck here with papa my dear gwenda did i ever say you ought to leave no you said you ought it's the same thing it isn't and i don't say it now what is the earthly use of going back on things that's what makes you ill put it straight out of your mind you know i can't help you if you go on like this you can my dear i wish i knew how you asked me to stay and i stayed i can understand that if i asked you to go would you go stephen would you understand that too my dear child what good would that do you i want you to go stephen you want me to go he screwed up his eyes as if he were trying to see the thing clearly yes she said he shook his head he had given it up no my dear you don't want me to go you only think you do you don't know what you want i shouldn't say it if i didn't wouldn't you it's exactly what you would say do you suppose i don't know you she had both her arms stretched before him on the table now the hands were clasped the little thin hands implored him 
her eyes implored him in the tense clasp and in the gaze there was the passion of entreaty that she kept out of her voice but rowcliffe did not see it he had shifted his position sinking a little lower into his chair and his head was bowed before her his eyes sombrely reflective looked straight in front of him under their bent brows he seemed to be really considering whether he would go or stay no he said presently no i'm not going but he was dubious and deliberate it was as if he still weighed it still watched for the turning of the scale the clock across the market-place struck eight he gathered himself together and it was then as if the strokes falling on his ear set free some blocked movement in his brain no he said i don't see how i can go as things are besides it isn't necessary i see she said she rose she gave him a long look a look that was still incredulous of what it saw his eyes refused to meet it as he rose also they stood so for a moment without any speech but that of eyes lifted and eyes lowered still without a word she turned from him to the door he sprang to open it five minutes later he was aware that his wife had come into the room has gwenda gone he said yes stephen there was a small fluttering fright in mary's eyes is there anything the matter with her no he said nothing except living with your father chapter sixty six gwenda had no feeling in her as she left rowcliffe's house her heart hid in her breast it was so mortally wounded as to be unaware that it was hurt but at the turn of the white road her heart stirred in its hiding-place it stirred at the sight of carva and with the wind that brought her the smell of the flowering thorn-trees it discerned in these things a power that would before long make her suffer she had no other sense of them she came to the drop of the road under carva where she had seen rowcliffe for the first time she thought i shall never get away from it far off in the bottom the village waited for her it had always waited for her but she was afraid of it now afraid of what it might have in store for her it shared her fear as it crouched there like a beaten thing with its huddled houses naked and blackened as if fire had passed over them and essie gale stood at the vicarage gate and waited she had her child at her side the two were looking for gwenda i thought maybe something had happened to you she said as if she had seen what had happened to her she hurried the child in out of her sight ten minutes to ten in the small dull room gwenda waited for the hour of her deliverance she had taken up her sewing and her book the vicar sat silent waiting he too with his hands folded on his lap and loud through the quiet house she heard the sound of crying and essie's voice scolding her little son avenging on him the cruelty of life on greffington edge under the risen moon the white thorn trees flowered in their glory end of chapter sixty six recording by expatriate in bangor maine end of the three sisters by may sinclair